from the state, Mr. Wood, is the state intending to call any uh, witnesses to testify or victims to provide oral impact statements today? Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, the state will not be calling any evidentiary witnesses. Uh, however, uh, there are four victims who wish to be heard. Uh, the victims, uh, well, Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow's brother, Colby Ryan, has asked that we read his statement into the record. Uh, so with permission of the court, I will do that on his behalf. After that, uh, Samantha William, Tammy Daybell's sister, has asked to be heard. Uh, Vicki Hoban, Tammy Daybell's aunt, has asked to be heard. And Kay Woodcock, JJ Vallow's uh, grandmother, has asked to be heard. Very well. The court has uh, previously determined that these are either victims or designated representatives under Idaho statute to be able to provide statements in this case, given the murder convictions. So the court will uh, allow for them to make their comments today. Let me just uh, indicate then how the hearing will proceed going forward. So first, the court will consider those victim impact statements that may be read into the record or offered by those individuals. After that, I intend to hear the recommendations on sentencing from you, Mr. Wood. Once the state's concluded then making its recommendations, Mr. Thomas, you may make recommendations on behalf of your client, Ms. Vallow. And then finally, Ms. Vallow, if you wish to address the court directly, you can do that after your attorney has done so. So with that in mind, Mr. Wood, uh, I'll start by going through the victim impact statements the state intends to introduce and you can either read into the record or call your uh, first victim to make a comment at this time. One more point of clarification, sorry. The victims, if they do wish to speak, uh, will speak at the podium over to my left. And I'll note that that is not being filmed uh, for this proceeding, so it won't be shown on the video. Uh, that's how the courts arranged the courtroom, just so council knows. So, Mr. Wood, if you'd like to uh, either read a comment or have your first victim speak, you can do that now. Thank you. Before I do that, Your Honor, I, I did neglect to say that Samantha William will also be uh, reading into the record uh, the statement of her father, which was included in the PSI, if the court permits. All right. The court will so permit that on your request. And, and with that, then we would, we would, uh, ask that Samantha be allowed to make her statement now. Very well, uh, Ms. William, then if you'd like to come forward and you can provide your statement at that lectern uh, right in front of you. Please state your name for the record as you begin. My name is Samantha William. Uh, do you want me to do my father's after mine or do it before mine? It's up to you. I'm gonna read his first. Uh, this is what my father wrote. His name is Ronald Douglas. He's writing on behalf of myself and my now deceased wife. I would like to share thoughts about the impact of the actions of Lori Vallow on my, our family. Tammy's death was, was unexpected and had a proud, profound impact on all of us. We were barely into our recovery process when we learned of Chad's new marriage exactly two weeks after losing Tammy. We had no knowledge of missing children until we were visited by law enforcement officers and informed of Tammy's disinterment and autopsy. The drama began to unfold and the reason for the quick burial became apparent. Over the course of the following months, the ensuing revelations of deceit and intrigue caused extreme emotional stress on my wife, Phyllis. We became estranged from the Daybell children and began losing the close relationships we had with them. 
I'm sure they feel awkward about their father's actions and how Tammy's death was affecting us. We value them as grandchildren and want to keep them close to us. While Phyllis was already battling her leukemia of over 30 years, the emotional stress of this drama seemed to accelerate her declining health. Her remaining months of life were full of strain and heartache. Lori entered Chad's life long before we were aware of any interaction between them. In retrospect, we see that Chad was living a double life and the bonds of his family were being eroded due to his involvement with Lori. The eternal ramifications of her actions are yet to be calculated. Lori needs to pay for her actions according to the laws of mortals. She will still answer according to the laws of God when she passes from this life. Ron Douglas. This is my statement. Over the last few years, I've often thought about what I would ever say to you, Lori. I've often thought about what my sister would have said too. The minute I found out that Chad had quickly remarried after the death of my most beloved sister, Tammy, it confirmed what I had always felt. You see, the minute I received the phone call that she had died, I knew something had happened to her, but I didn't know why I would feel that way. So when we were told by Chad that he had married you and that it had happened two weeks after Tammy had been buried, my heart knew. I researched you like any true woman would to find out who you were. What did I find? Lies. Everything about you that you tried to tell others is a lie. At this point, I'm going to object. I don't believe this falls within the statute or within uh, the Idaho Constitution or within Idaho versus Payne. All right, Mr. Thomas, your objections noted. It's overruled. The court will be able to consider and ferret out these statements and properly consider what's in the record. You can continue, Thank Ms. You. William. We asked, what's her name? Lori Ryan. That was a lie. That was two husbands ago. So as I searched, what happened to your previous husband? We, she told us that he died from a heart attack. Lie. He died from being shot. I asked, are there children? I was told we will be empty nesters. That's a lie. The police ask us about missing children. You answer, the children aren't missing. They're safe and happy. It's a lie. Your children, your poor children were dead and buried on Chad's property. And my sister was told was sick and her health was failing. Well, that was a lie. I had seen her with my own eyes two weeks prior. She was very healthy. We have to go through her being disinterred and having an autopsy done. Was glad to get some answers and some truth after so many lies. But to find out what we knew in our hearts all along, she had been murdered by those who saw her as an obstacle to a plan. You planned her murder just as much as you planned the murders of your own children and your previous husband. Why? Why plan something so heinous? You had an affair with a married man. You lied to yourself by what is okay to sneak behind the backs of your spouses. You are not exalted beings, and your behavior makes you ineligible to be one. But why pick Chad? He was an average guy, and you had married several men before him. He made you feel special and singled out. You tell yourself that you were high spiritual beings who have lived lives together through time. You felt powerful. This is too is a lie. But Chad has no real wealth. How will you live? You can easily have divorced your spouses and made your own perverted life together, but you need money. So you tell this story about people being dark and that they are zombies. This is how you justify who needs to be removed. 
You use this lie to justify the murders of poor people whose deaths you profit from. You could sit there and think, you've never met me and I don't know you, but I've always been able to tell when I am being lied to and you are a liar, an adulteress and a murderer. Because of the choices you made, my family lost a beloved mother, sister, aunt, and daughter. She is irreplaceable. She was 1,000 times the woman you will ever dream of being. Because of the choices you made, we have been hounded by media and those who revel on all of the salacious scandal you have stirred up. Because of you and your desire to get what you want at any cost, my family has been ripped apart. I helped raise Tammy's children. And because of you, they no longer have their mother or grandmother. And because of fear of losing another parent, they listen to the lies spewed by you and Chad. Our relationship is strained and most contact with them is gone. Your trial was the last thing my ailing mother had to live through. She declined in health as she heard through news reports all the horrible things that happened and she had to relive all the things we have tried to forget the last four years. My mother passed away in June knowing that you will never come out of prison again. Her passing was marred by the fact that Tammy's children chose not to participate in her funeral because of fear of causing more drama. We were deprived of the chance to heal and have them realize how much we love them. We don't blame them for what happened, but we blame you and Chad for all the lies you've told and ripping apart this family. We didn't do anything. My parents are not evil. They did not deserve to lose their grandchildren on top of losing their daughter. I did not deserve to lose the relationships of children I helped raise or a sister that was my dearest friend. I am not a dark person or a zombie. And for, for me and my family to be portrayed that way is unacceptable. Lucky for me, the world can see the truth as much as I can. Everyone now knows what liars you are. They now all know what horrible things you have done. You will have to live in your prison cell for the rest of your life. You are not an exalted being, and there's no huge event that is going to save you. No jail walls are going to fall so you can leave. No angels are coming to rescue you. You made judgments of others and determined that they should die based on the fact that they might do bad things and we need to kill them before they do. That is not how the atonement works. We cannot punish and judge others on things they haven't happened yet. But you did. You have also made choices that have led you here. You have been judged by the court and you have been found guilty. Your consequences are before you. I miss my sister every day. I will grieve her and know the loss of my mother for the rest of my life. I will always remember them. As for you, I choose to forget you. And as I leave this courtroom today, I choose to never think of you again. Thank you. All right, thank you for the impact statement, Ms. William. Mr. Wood, if you'd like to call the next victim who wishes to speak. That would be Vicki Hoban, Your Honor. All right, Ms. Hoban, you may come forward, offer your statement there at the lectern. Um, first, I'd like to thank the court for allowing me to um, give a statement here today.
I'm Tammy Santvicki. I was able to attend a big part of this trial. And so my first comment will be to address what I felt the defendant's behavior was. I felt she was shameful during the trial. It was apparent to me and others that the defendant did not take the proceedings in this courtroom seriously. It was extremely disrespectful to watch, especially during some of the most sensitive and heartbreaking testimony. Her smirking, her smiling, giggling, talking. Judge, I'm going to object based on state versus pain, based on the Idaho Constitution, based on Idaho Code uh, 1953-06. She's supposed to give an impact statement, which uh, which the defendant's criminal conduct had upon the victim. Payne states that the victim impact statement must relate to the characteristics of the victim and the emotional impact of the crime on the family. We have a brief sidebar with Mr. Thomas and Mr. Wood. All right, the court will just note on the record, there was an objection lodged on this victim impact statement. I had a brief sidebar with counsel and discussed that. I do in part grant the uh, objection and I've instructed the state to discuss that with the victim to tear up, uh, tailor her comments to those appropriate for an impact statement at this point. So Mr. Wood, I gave you an opportunity to discuss that with Ms. Hoban. Ms. Hoban, if you're ready to continue, apologies for the interruption, but we want to make sure the record's followed carefully here. Thank you. that was in the courtroom at the time was really hurtful to us. We were unable to be in our feelings and listen to the testimony without having extreme emotion. I'll say it this way. This was a woman who had killed her own children and was on trial for doing that and for killing Tammy and felt that she could have had more respect for the family members in the courtroom. Tammy was a most excellent person and she led her life with the utmost dignity and was beloved not only by our family, but by the community at large. There will be a huge void. And this is Tammy's story and therefore is part of our family history. This statement will not be about Lori. It will be about Tammy because it's her story. It's her life that was taken. She was a mom, a grandma, a daughter, a sister, a niece, a cousin, friend, and yes, she was a librarian. But more than a librarian, she was a teacher. She loved her job and went above and beyond for her students. Her last days filled with preparing a book fair for underserved children. I'm sure when she arrived home Friday, October 18, 2019, she was very tired from a long day and the hours at school. As she got into bed that night, I would imagine she was thinking the same thing as every other night. Nothing more than getting a good night's sleep once her eldest had checked in from his late night job. She had no idea what the plan was for that night or what had been the plan for quite some time. Unbeknownst to her, there had been quite a bit of discussion about how to get rid 
of the obstacles that Lori had. Lori had already killed two of her children. Tammy was next on her list of obstacle removal. Lori wanted money, sex, and more power. And what Lori wants, Lori gets. The plan was in place on how to get it. Instead of a good night's sleep, Tammy was brutally executed in her own bed. She was taken from us by murdering thief. Lori sits here convicted and prepped for prison. And let's be honest, the only question left is for how long? But Tammy was robbed of her entire life. and all of her family robbed of ever seeing her again. Never will she whisper a joke with a friend and laugh. Never see another sunrise or a sunset. Never smell fresh rain or see her grandchildren stomp through a mud puddle. Never to hear being called grandma or mom. Not another birthday, Christmas, the birth of a grandchild, graduation from preschool, no seeing pictures of prom, first dates, or weddings, no searching for something fun to do or growing a garden, never attending one of our families just for the girls' lunches where we reconnected from all over, laughed about the good old times. And the funny way that Grandma Cooper took pictures. And then we take photos with each other that we would compare at the next lunch. There would never be another hilarious rendition of Patty and her singing, Do Your Ears Hang Low? She'd never wave at a friend as they passed by, make dinner for a sick friend. Never have a last conversation with her beautiful mother. Or one last kiss goodbye. No more of her dad's dad jokes or Samantha's outdoor parties. No more lining up with all of her siblings to get the photo at the next event. A life full of people she loved and who loved her deeply. Her life was snuffed out. To say heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, unbearable is not a big enough statement to convey knowing the way this most excellent existence was taken by planning and execution. The most innocent of lives was simply just discarded like it meant nothing, but it did. And like all of Lucille's grandchildren, her life was a vibe. It was a valiant and reproached and unreproachable life. Lori, you participated in the savage murders of precious people of great value and worth. It is most likely something that you would probably never understand to be selfish and just to live life in a simple way, enjoying life for what it is, to love, to be loved, to smile, and to be smiled at. Well, you had a shameful relationship with Tammy's husband and planned out a murder. Tammy lived her life. She supported her family in every way. And for you to turn her home where she lived and slept into a cemetery 
your two innocent and beautiful children is one of the most horrific things I can think of. Abby would have been horrified to know what you had done, and it has broken us as a family. You are now going to pay the price, albeit never sufficient in this life. It's all we know that we can do. I hope that the life you live is filled with fear and that every day you are terrified just the way that beautiful Tylee lived in fear for hers and sweet JJ as you continued terrifying her by saying they would be zombies. And she knew the consequences of being what you called dark. Tylee had many wonderful friends that loved her and in a cruel irony, my granddaughter was a good friend to Tylee. This friend group can still to this day not speak of Tylee freely. They are so stuck in their grief and sadness for their friend who is savagely brutalized and murdered at her mother's hands. It's unconscionable to them and the grief is still overwhelming. In closing, I would like to thank all of the law enforcement, the FBI, the investigators, the prosecutors, the administration, everybody has worked so diligently on this case. I especially want to thank those who had to see those things that can't be unseen. We understand your pain also and grateful for the many, many hours of hard work and dedication and the search for the truth. Uh, thank you, Judge. I trust that you will do the correct penalty this. Thank you. All right, Ms. Hoban, thank you for your impact statement. Mr. Wood. The next uh, victim will be Kay Woodcock. All right, Ms. Woodcock. Good day, Judge Boyce. I want to express my thanks and appreciation for being able to speak publicly today on the impact of the defendant's actions. Thank you. 80, 1401, and finally, one million. These are more than just numbers and very important numbers and will make sense as I continue. <clears throat> 80 days ago, on May 12th, 2023, the, world, the word guilty was read for each of the charges inmate Daybell is being sentenced for today. Guilty, the word cemented what I had known for 1,401 days was returned by the jury. The jury devoted their time, energy, and dedication to deliver justice for J.J. Tiley and Tammy for every single heinous crime charged. 
Our family is eternally grateful for their sacrifice. Justice would not have been possible without the time, perseverance, and tireless work every member of multiple law enforcement agencies, prosecution team, court personnel, and the court. Her appreciation and thanks can never be expressed in a way that will adequately or effectively convey our gratitude. Today marks 1,481 days that have been filled with terror. One was the day my brother Charles was murdered. It took over 30 hours for the defendant to finally send a cold-hearted text to Charles's sons, informing them that their father was dead. No phone call, no explanation as to how, when, and where. Colin Zach immediately called me, hoping this was a cruel joke. John, I'm going to object as this has nothing to do with this case. It's overruled, Mr. Thomas. You can continue, Ms. Woodcock. This was the beginning of a, her cruel campaign of terror, a campaign that resulted in the deaths of JJ and Tylee, two innocent children, and Tammy, a devoted mother, grandmother, and wife. Our intense fear for JJ's safety began the very moment we learned of Charles's death. We knew Lori didn't want JJ anymore as we had seen her abandon him for 72 days with little to no concern of his well-being. We now understand that this was so she could carry on her illicit and torrid affair with Chad Daybell and to conspire with him to murder and profit from my brother's death. With the number of divorces in Larry's past, it took me a while to understand why my brother had to die. I now realize what a nothing Chad Daybell is, a man with no ability to support anyone, no success of his own, a user of the weak-minded, a lazy, good-for-nothing, spineless man that rode his wife's coattails of success. After learning of Charles's death, I immediately began reaching out to Lori. I began calling, leaving voicemails and texting. Finally, after three long hours, I received a brief text with zero details. She couldn't be bothered or felt too guilty to pick up a phone and call, this time his sister, and explain what happened. It, was, it set out so many alarms for Larry and I. Within minutes, we were on the phone with an Arizona detective learning the horrifying truths of my brother's murder. This all began with greed, the greed for and desire for a $1 million life insurance policy. She should have answered my calls. She should have spoken to me. I would have given her the money. She could have let JJ entirely live and had a million dollars. She could have been free to be Chad's mistress and foot the bill with the money from spilled blood. JJ and Tylee could have been with us living happy lives. <laughs> Instead, she took all that away, all because she is a money-hungry, power-mongering monster. We flew to Arizona the next morning and were finally able to meet with the detective shortly after. We learned the frightful details of my brother being ambushed by Lori and Alex. I know my brother and what we were hearing made no sense to the kind, gentle, and generous and loving man we knew him to be. After hearing the details, our immediate, immediate concern was JJ's safety. We had no legal rights to JJ. This simply left our hands tied. We were powerless then and have felt overwhelmingly powerless since. It is the most unwanted and terrible feeling to be in that position. 
I pray no one ever must deal with this type of circumstance. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I would say not even Lori or Chad, but their evil and malicious plans are why we are here. She has shown no grief for the lives she willingly took or the pain she caused. Today, I take the power back by standing here speaking out loud of all the pain and loss she caused. I pray that my words will assist you. My sincerest hope is that they will serious, be seriously contemplated in imposing a sentence for her cruel and heinous crimes. During the trial, a lot of information was shared about JJ's death. Today, I wanna to share how he lived. That is truly the only way to understand and know who he was in the gaping hole his, his death has left in our hearts and in this world. Payne and Todd Trahan came into this world fighting on May 25th, 2012, 10 weeks premature and weighing in at a tiny but mighty two pounds and 14 ounces. He was transferred to a hospital with neonatal intensive care unit within minutes of being born, where he spent weeks fighting to grow and live. I remember seeing him for the first time. My son, Todd, his biological father, and I had followed the ambulance to the hospital. He was about two hours old when we were finally able to see him. He was so tiny and looked so fragile. In fact, I still have one of his tiny preemie diapers. It fits in the palm of my hand. As soon as I laid my eyes on him, I knew he was my grandson. He was the tiniest version of my son, Todd, who was also seeing him for the first time. Todd, Todd struck with the love for him that can't be explained. The love that his new parents can't be put into words. I remember him later saying, how can I love someone I've never met this much? It is a feeling I and millions of others have experienced at the birth of a child. Lori, Todd forgives you. I wanted to make sure you know that. While he was in the NICU, I was only able to see him for a few minutes at a time until I was notified that he could be released to Larry and I in a few days. When we were initially asked if Kanan could come home with us, Larry and I didn't hesitate and immediately said yes. Even though it had been 25 years since I had a new baby at home and never a preemie with their many medical needs, the only place we wanted him to be at home with us was at home with us. <clears throat> The night before he was discharged, I stayed in a little room next to the NICU talking to the nurses and learning all the little things that our little preemie grandbaby would need. The next day, when it was time to leave, the nurse brought a wheelchair in and said, have a seat and I'll get you out of here. I looked at her and kind of perplexed. I don't need a wheelchair, I can walk. She gave me a smile and a little chuckle and then let me know it's hospital policy for discharged babies. So I sat in the wheelchair took Kanan in my arms and was wheeled out of the hospital just like a new mama. I felt so much pride for this little baby who had not only overcome being born 10 weeks early, but also being born with illicit substances in his tiny little body. He was healthy and ready to come home well before he was expected and my pride in him knew no bounds. 
We knew then that he was a champion and oh so very special. That day began an amazing experience of raising our cherished little man. His first night home as I bathed him, he cried so hard and I cried right along with him. My heart was so heavy with all that he had been through in just the few short weeks since his birth. After his bath and still crying, my husband Larry, who JJ called Papa, asked me to hand Canaan to him. He placed our baby Cannon on his bare Canaan on his bare chest and wrapped his robe around him, gently breathing on his head, rhythmically patted his back. Larry kept patting and breathing warmth onto the top of his head until he finally relaxed, stopped crying, and fell asleep. This became a daily occurrence, part of our routine. We would hold him for hours so that Canaan would feel loved, comforted, and secure. I saw my husband in a new light. Larry jumped in feet first at 65 years old and did all the things a young and new father should and more. It made our relationship grow and gave us a new strength. Canaan was our strength and we were his comfort. His first six months were spent going to countless appointments. We went to appointments for with doctors, heart, kidney, and urology problems, then to appointments for speech and occupational therapy, as well as visits to other pediatricians for a host of medical problems. We were always going from one appointment to another, constantly working to help him thrive and grow. That along with loving him was our number one priority. At each appointment, it became inevitable for me to cry. It deeply wounded me to see him go through so much, but I also felt immense pride in seeing him grow and how much love and happiness he gave to us and everyone that met him. My sister Susan had a special bond with Canaan and spent her days watching him so that I could work. She used to take him for walks, pushing the stroller endlessly. She could get him to belly laugh with silly animal noises, especially the froggy noise. There is no sweeter sound than a baby with an ecstatic belly laugh. Memories of the time watching Kane, spent watching Canaan grow, discovering his hands, toes, and feet are all Susan has left of that special bond and the immense grief of his loss is overwhelming. At six months old, he, the time came for the surgery he needed to repair a hernia. Charles and Lori flew to be with us at the Children's Hospital in New Orleans. This was a scary moment in time for us. Our tiny little man was undergoing surgery and their support meant so much to us. After his surgery, Lori insisted I take the sofa as she slept overnight on the floor of the hospital room. Later, the decision was made to let Charles and Lori adopt Canaan. I knew she would always be 1000% involved, involved in his care and I knew it would be okay since I witnessed that. She would always be there to help support and care for Canaan. That is part of why this is so hard. How does a woman that would go to that lane for a baby boy a few short years later brutally take his life? It is mind blowing and I will never understand it. Charles and Lloyd were granted custody a short time later. It was then Canaan became JJ. It was a happy and devastating at the same time. We loved every minute of raising him. We poured all our love, energy into ensuring he grew and thrived. We knew our conditional, unconditional love and that, was, that time was priceless. Canaan's growth and milestones were clear evidence for our love for him. 
We knew the adoption was the best decision for his future to have energetic parents, siblings, and access to the types of schools and services we didn't have in Lake Charles, Louisiana. With his departure, we felt a grief that really can only be compared to the grief of losing someone to death, which is now a feeling we all know too well. We had barely made it 30 days before we were standing on Charles's front steps to love on our baby. When the door opened, there he was in his little baby walker, and I swear I saw tears in his eyes at seeing us. He had missed us too. Before I could take a step, Larry swooped him up in his arms and at 11 months old, JJ wrapped his tiny arms around Larry, laying his head on him. There it was, the connection, it was still so strong. We never lost that special connection with JJ. We were always in love, comfort and safety. AJ's adoption was final in July of 2014, and Charles and Lori moved with the kids to Hawaii, living in a house that backed up to a closed golf course, and it was perfect for JJ. It was like having the biggest backyard ever, and it was heaven for him. He would go outside, and he would run and run and run and run, and I ran and ran to chase him and catch up to him. Somewhere, somehow, he never, ever ran out of energy. JJ also had no fear and everything was an adventure. He climbed on everything and he could do it in the blink of an eye. We have pictures sent from Charles of JJ sitting on top of refrigerators and cabinets with a grin on his face. Listening to testimony during the trial and hearing the defendant claim to others that he turned into a demon for doing what he had always done devastates me. How dare she take his energy and adventurous nature and turn it into a reason to further her murderous conspiracy. We would visit Hawaii every four to five months and stay 10, 14 days. We needed to soak up as much JJ time as we could. On one trip in the winter of 2015, JJ stayed home with me while Charles and Lori went to church. I was making a big pot of gumbo. I had to bring a little bit of Louisiana home cooking to Charles and JJ was excited to help me. We pulled up a stool. He poured ingredient after ingredient. I can still see him standing next to me pouring chicken broth in the pot. Afterwards, he climbed on the counter and just watched, taking it all in. It is a memory that I will always cherish and dearly hold on to. During our visits with Charles or Lori, during our visits, Charles or Lori would comment on how JJ would do things with us that were in stark contrast for them. He always awoke at the crack of dawn, never sleeping any later. However, when we would visit, he would sleep, we would have him sleep with us. JJ would ask Papa to pat his back, just like when he was a baby and fall asleep. He would sleep until nine or 10, which astonished them. There was never a doubt. He had an innate and unbroken attachment to us. Each visit, no matter where they lived, Lori always, always expressed her deep appreciation that we gave them the greatest gift ever in JJ. Lori loved to entertain and have family visit ours and hers. She invited family and friends to Hawaii and friends from Hawaii to Arizona. Zero is the number
that same mother murdered that same child she expressed her deep appreciation for. It is mind boggling and I don't think I will ever be able to understand it. Back to JJ, he was incredibly smart. He was reading at middle school level. By the time he was four, I remember being in a store with JJ and on the, eye, the aisle with eye drops and there he was reading off the labels, visine, cysteine, and a histamine, one long word after another. I hadn't seen him do that before, so you can imagine my surprise and delight. As we stood there, he would occasionally stumble on a syllable or pronunciation, but we took the time to go through the words and helped him learn. As he got a little older, his special education school in Arizona told Charles he was a math savant. He could calculate anything. I continually wonder what he would have become, what type of man would he be? What did Lori deprive the world of? JJ left school, loved his family, friends, and cousins, especially his cousin, Braxy. The two of them had such a special bond and love for each other. There are many, there are so many lives he touched from family, teachers, neighbors, and church members that all feel the immense pain and loss of him being gone. Not only was JJ smart, but he was also funny, content, healthy, compassionate, and, and an empathetic child. JJ didn't show his empathy and compassion with hugs and kisses. In fact, you had to chase him down for those, but instead with his gentle touch and speaking in soft tones, he would constantly stop to ask people if they were okay, if he could see or sense they were hurt. His world was fascinating and exciting with his huge imagination. He would put on concerts for his stuffed animals under our enormous oak tree, playing the drums on buckets and pots and pans. The joy, the joy he exuded and shared cannot be measured. I loved watching him, taking him in and seeing how he approached the world. I never got enough of him. Now I've had all I would get for the rest of my life and I will only have the precious memories <clears throat> to cling to. Now memories are how I feel the love I so desperately miss due to the heinous acts of his mother, the deplorable woman that chose to be his mother, the woman that five years earlier made the conscious decision to stand in front of a judge and swore to provide for, care, love, and protect him. When Charles and Lloyd married, When Charles and Lori married, Tylee was three years old. She was the most precious, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl. There was never any doubt that Tylee was an absolute mama's girl when she was little. She adored Lori. I was thrilled to have a, nie a new niece, especially one as sweet as her. While Charles and Lori lived in Austin, we visited frequently. On one of our visits, we passed a, a roadside stand selling swings made from old tires. I saw one that had been made into a horse complete with a saddle and stirrups. I grabbed Larry's arm and said, stop, we have to get that for Tylee. Her brother Colby and stepbrothers Cole and Zach were always around her and she needed something girly just for her and she loved it. As a big sister, Tylee would put notes on her bedroom door, one of them being do not enter. And as you can assume, even though JJ could read and understand the notes, it didn't mean he listened. After all, isn't that what little brothers do? He would storm into her room and she would laughingly tell him to get out. I think she did it on purpose just to tease and play with him. 
It was hilarious to see them interact and warmed our hearts seeing them together. Tyler was nine years old when JJ became her little brother. She loved him so incredibly much and he loved her right back. She doted on him and JJ, loved every minute of attention he got from his big sister. The love they have for each other is captured in the last photo taken of them, both grinning and hugging each other. Hauntingly, this photo was taken shortly before and by the defendant hours before she murdered her own child, her sweet girl, Tylee. I have a niece that is a few months younger than JJ. Her name is Maddie. She and JJ loved each other and would spend days playing together when Charles and JJ would visit. On her eighth birthday in October of 2020, we were celebrating and singing happy birthday to her. The glow of the candles shining on her face, that huge grin that kids get during the singing hit me like a truck. I grabbed the keys from Larry and ran to the car and I just bawled and bawled until I could compose myself enough to rejoin the party. I knew then that JJ didn't get his eighth birthday song and it, it broke me. One thousand five hundred and thirty six. That is how many days it has been since I've seen JJ and how many days since I was able to see that same candlelit growing glowing grin and from being sung happy birthday. You see, the last time I was able to hug and kiss JJ was in May of 2019 when we celebrated his seventh birthday. It is just so wrong. He didn't get to have that joy and feeling of love of another birthday because his mother is greedy and his life was expendable to her. We never know when one of those moments are going to hit, but I can tell you that there have been too many situations in the past few years where we get slammed with the fact that JJ won't hit another milestone in his life, all because his materialistic, self-centered mother cruelly and brutally stole his life <clears throat> and him from the world. Lori's acts of depravity, cruelty, and betrayal have no limits. She murdered and stole JJ's daddy from him on July 11th, 2019. Next, she was trying to sell Bailey, JJ's adored and cherished service dog, his shadow and his best friend. When caught, she was confronted and forced to give Bailey back to his original trainer. I can't imagine how that impacted JJ. Bailey went everywhere with him and provided him so much security and happiness. 52, that's how many days after Charles's death, she waited, continuing her trail of destruction by taking JJ away from his home, his family, his school, his sense of well-being and normalcy by moving to Rexburg. JJ and Tylee were isolated and deprived of everything and everyone they knew and loved. Eight, that's how many days later until another act of treachery with the murder and desecration of Tylee. The immense sorrow I feel in thinking of JJ's last days and week cannot be measured. How did he cope with the shockwave of change, confusion and chaos, being autistic and just a child in general? He thrived and excelled with his routines and schedules and nothing was routine at that point. How much grief and fear did he experience? The loss of his dad, his world was upside down. 
during those two months, I continually asked to the point of pleading with Lori to let us visit JJ. She only agreed once and then canceled. The trip was for JJ to attend Charles's memorial services back home in Louisiana. Our FaceTime calls, something that had been the norm, were cut shorter and shorter until our last call on August 10th of 2019 that lasted for 35 seconds. This is all started, this all started with her greed. Her greed for a $1 million life insurance policy and her lust for Chad. 72 days, that is how many days it took Lori to take everything from JJ. He lost his dad, his home, his best friend Bailey, his beloved big sister and his life all in 72 days. My sister said it best. My sister Susan said it best. She killed him slowly by taking away everything that mattered. The following nine months were pure hell. Nothing else can describe the feeling of not knowing where the children were. We were continually learning more about the evil that the defendant was involved with, and our fears continued to mount daily. 319. That's how many days from the last time we were able to FaceTime with JJ until the moment we learned the children had been found in Chad Daybill's backyard, buried like animals. When the call came home, when the call came, a sound escaped me that only can be described as guttural. Our worst fears were confirmed and we were destroyed. The grief my family and I have endured is immeasurable. Lori cruelly took my big brother, Charles, <clears throat> my adorable grandson, JJ, and my beautiful niece, Tylee, and sweet Tammy, whose family I've come to know and love. Lori is undeniably a monster, a monster that has, taken away, taken any, has not taken any responsibility or shown an ounce of remorse for her vile actions. She deserves to never again breathe oxygen as a free member of society. Her actions, dismissive behavior, and disinterest in court proceedings continue to validate her lack of accountability and remorse or any possibility to be rehabilitated. Lori Cox Daybell is a danger to society. Her body and manipulative mind are weapons used for her selfish greed and satisfaction. We firmly believe that she has zero uh, mental I'm illness. Sorry, Your Honor, I'm going to have to object. I think the court ruled on this particular portion of her statement. I'm going to ask that the court enforce that. <clears throat> Give me a moment. Let me review the section of the written PSI in the court's previous order. Uh, the objections overruled. This is not the section the court struck from the statement. So you can continue, <laughs> Ms. Woodcock. <laughs> We firmly believe that she has zero mental illness that drove her to commit these heinous acts. Rather, she is driven by her greed and need to be the center of attention. During the trial, a jail call was played between Lori and her son, Colby, as she continued her manipulation. Today, it feels especially poignant. Quoting Lori, they have made all these judgments they think they know what happened. They think they know who's responsible. They think they know everything, but you don't know because you weren't there. And one day you will know, one day you will know what, ha what actually happened. Those are her words. It is the 
the one truth that Lori has told since the beginning of her campaign of terror, we do know what exact actually happened and who is responsible, Lori. Today is the day that she will finally be punished for her manipulation, cruelty, and criminal acts. She has shown no remorse for the murders, the lying, the deceit, or the pain. During the trial, we heard Lori deflect and minimize her sister's grief. We heard her exclaim that she was trying to go on with life, that she needed to be happy. All while she was dancing on the beach and her children were buried in Chad's backyard. Only someone with no remorse tries to justify the cold-blooded murder of her children with her needs. We wholeheartedly believe she was not only complicit, but was an active participant in both JJ and Tylee's murders, making her crimes even more reprehensible. Your Honor, my family and I pray for nothing. Okay. We trust your wisdom in, de in determining the sentence for the fraud. Uh, sorry about that, too. Strike that. Um, okay. Um, we believe there should never be a reason for her to be released from prison. She deprived JJ, Tylee, and Tammy of that right and should never be given what she so easily took from them. I'll leave with two final numbers. Three for the three people who were murdered. Who, we'll never for, who we will never forget. And finally, the number one for the defendant, the person that will never matter again once we walk out the door. All right, Ms. Woodcock, thank you for the victim impact statement. Mr. Wood, are there any other statements to be offered into the record? Yes, Your Honor. Um, I will, we have been asked to read Colby Ryan's statement into the record, and so I'll do that now. Very well. As the older brother to Tylee Ryan, J.J. Vallow, and the son of Charles Vallow, I want to say the generations have been affected by these murders. My children will never know their uncle, their aunt, or grandfather, or even their own grandmother. Tylee and J.J. brought so much light into this world. With their lives being stolen, I would like to share this. I believe that nothing could or will ever be the same. Tylee will never have an opportunity to become a mother, wife, or have the career she was destined to have. She will never be able to have the life she deserved. JJ will never be able to grow and spread his light with this world the way he did. He will never have a chance to grow up. My girls will never have a chance to know them in this life. My siblings and father deserve so much more than this. I want them to be remembered for who they were and not to be just a spectacle or a headline to the world. Tylee was sweet and kind, funny and bold, and she deserves to be seen as such. JJ was the most fun, sweet and silly kid I'd ever known, loving and so smart. He deserves to be seen as such. Charles was a loving, kind, and generous father, and he did everything he could to help and provide for everyone around him. He deserves to be seen as that. This has affected me personally more than I could ever possibly put into words. I've lost my entire family in life. 
I lost the opportunity to share life with the people I love the most. I've watched everything crumble and be shredded to pieces. I have lost my sister, brother, father, and my mother. I've lost cousins and family, friends, and everything in between. These murders have changed everyone's life who loved these beautiful people. But I still know that God is above holding them in his arms and will provide a life after this to reunite. I pray for healing for everyone involved, including those who took the lives of all the ones we love. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.